Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Lanides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, I have the pleasure of speaking with King Mo, Mohammed Lawal. I'm so glad that Mo was able to find some time to be able to be on the show. It was great connecting with him. I've actually never spoken with him before. Uh, my co-host, co-host Josh has had the pleasure of interviewing in the interviewing him in the past, but this was my turn. So I had a great time chatting with him. We talk about his formative years, his love of pro wrestling. I actually didn't know that he had almost gone into pro wrestling before he went into MMA. So that was pretty cool to talk about that. We get to chat about AEW, but of course we really focus in on his time in Strikeforce, talk about him winning the Strikeforce light heavyweight title uh, against Gegard Musassi. We talk about his win over Lorenz Larkin and then what happened subsequently as far as the, the drug test and being released by Zufa and all that stuff. So we delve into a ton of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Mo's a great interview. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the line with us, we have the man, the myth, the legend, King Mo, former Strike Force light heavyweight champion, Ryzen heavyweight Grand Prix winner, very, very decorated amateur uh, wrestler as well. Mo, thanks for taking the time to join us on Inside the Hexagon. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's great to connect. Uh, so let's, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, yeah, I mentioned, you know, very, very decorated amateur wrestler. You, you competed extensively as an amateur, won all kinds of titles, narrowly missed. Uh, the Olympics, but uh, at, at the same time, huge, huge pro wrestling fan growing up. Uh, eventually, you ended up in the real pro wrestling league, RPW. Daniel Cormier was in there, Patrick Cummings, uh, some others. Uh, it was so it was basically the the premise was that this was amateur wrestling, but kind of you know done professionally. Y'all were paid, and and uh, you know was there characters like uh, what was your experience like with RPW? Uh, it was cool, man. There were no characters. We were just ourselves, pretty much. Okay. We just went out, there, went out there and just had a good time because it wasn't real real wrestling. It was just a TV show. Okay. 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 I, I think it lasted for a couple of seasons, so it wasn't, you know, hugely successful without the, you know, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I need my entrances. I need my, you know, I need my costumes. I need my my flippy flops and all that stuff. So uh, I don't know how, you know, obviously the, the premise was interesting, but didn't, didn't pan out. But uh, yeah, so you decide after you, you, you didn't make it to the Olympics, you just, um, you decided to, I, apparently you'd gotten an offer from WWE to do some, some develop, developmental. And we'll talk a little bit more about pro wrestling later, but you decided to go into MMA and you really made a name for yourself uh, in Japan, your, your entrances, uh, your antics, you know, you, the, the girls coming out with you, the, you know, the umbrella, all, all that stuff, the crown, you know, the big old, you know, the gold, everything. You were just, you were a huge, huge superstar in Japan. How did you, yeah, I mean, that's where you made your debut. How did you get hooked up with Japan and just what, did you love it there? Like, what was your experience like fighting in Japan? Um, with Japan, I guess Ryzen had a fight that fell through. And they reached out to Brian Parsons to see if there's anybody that could fill in on short notice. And Ryan threw my name in on the mix. And uh, that's when, you know, it took off. Um, went to Japan, fought Travis View, won. Yeah. Won that fight by knockout in the first round. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to be real with you. Japan, I love Japan. Like, Tokyo especially. Um, it was a great experience out there. A different culture. But I like it out there, man. Um, a very respectful crowd. Um, I, I I like their customs, man. I, I like Japan. It was it was an enjoyable time out there when I'd go. 
Okay. And obviously you've got, you fought there a bunch of times over the years. And uh, just for clarification, it was, you were with Sengoku at that time. Ryzen wasn't around yet, but yeah, it's, I mean, same, same group basically. So, so you really, I, and I was working in MMA at that time as a publicist. I, you really, I remember hearing about that fight. It was like, Hey, this guy, man, he views a really tough guy. I'm like, this is, this is, this guy's legit. And, uh, obviously I saw the crown and I'm thinking, all right, this is this guy. He, he's got to be a wrestling fan because it's just the entrance, everything. So I, I, I wish we could have seen you fight in pride. Obviously you would have been custom made for pride, <laughs> but, uh, you know, miss, miss that by a little bit, but yeah, it's still pretty awesome. So then you, you make your, your American MMA debut, you beat, uh, the smashing machine, Mark Kerr, who was, a big time pioneer, big time name. Obviously, he was past his. Uh, yeah, his, past his prime. Yeah, he was past his prime, but it's still nice to have that notch on your uh, on your record. And and so you know that you turn some heads with that, you end up signing with with Strike Force. So let's talk about you beating Gegard Musasi for the belt. Um, going into that fight, you seem to have a very wrestling heavy strategy, and that was that's all, which was smart because Musasi, uh, if he has an Achilles heel, it's always been his wrestling. Is is he's can be easily taken down. And you did that for five rounds and really put a beating on him. So was that your plan going into that? Was it, Hey man, I, you know, I'm not, if the knockout comes great, but I, I'm going to do what I have to do to win the belt. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, be real with you. I didn't know anything. Musashi was my sixth fight. And I think I've been fighting for like maybe two years. Is that? Yep. So like, I've been fast, fast tracked. I was, I wasn't like, you know, went to that fight kind of injured. Like my knee was messed up. But I just went out there. I was like, you know what? I just got to beat this kid. You know, um, he's young. If I put pressure on him, I think he can break. He's never faced a high-level wrestler before. And I was his, I was his first introduction to a high-level wrestler. I, I think that – I think it actually ended up being kind of good for him because you could see in subsequent fights with him that his takedown defense was better and that he would he'd be really busy from the bottom if he get, did get taken down. In that fight, he just didn't seem to know what to do with you. And, uh, and obviously it was a big signature moment for, for you. And you got to add, I, I still think the strike force belts, the title belts, I think they're the best belts in MMA. I mean, I really like the Ryzen belts as well. I'm kind of, I like the gold, but those strike force belts were gorgeous. And so adding that to your crown and your, uh, you know, your, your medallion, that must've been a, a pretty cool experience. Was it a big deal for you winning the belt like that, especially so early in your career? Yeah, it was a big deal. Just winning anything. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I was an MMA fan. I liked fighting, um, but I didn't know what to expect. I went out there, won the belt, and uh, you know, I just you know, went out there and did my thing. Well, it, worked, it, it worked out for you. Um, but so then, you know, unfortunately, and this was—I don't even know if you're aware of this—but the light heavyweight division and strike force, uh, almost nobody. I think Bobby Southworth he won the belt first. And I think he defended once. I don't think any other light heavyweight champion in strike force actually defended the belt. They all. Yeah. Lost, lost the belt, yeah. right? So you ended up losing the belt to Fajia on your next one, but then you knocked out Hodger Gracie, really highlight real fashion. That was a pretty brutal one, and then it led to the bout with uh, with Lorenz Larkin, and you pretty much dominated the fight. You ended it with some brutal right hands to the face. We actually on the podcast just covered that fight, and we were you know discussing it. It was you were obviously upset with referee Kim Winslow. You felt like, it seemed like you felt like she took too long to stop the bout and you were still talking to her about it respectfully, but you were still talking to her about it, even as she was getting to raise your hand in victory. What do you remember about that fight? What do you remember about, you know, how you felt afterwards and, you know, uh, being upset and all that, give it kind of take us back there and let, and, and let us know how you felt at that time. Well, I, I didn't know much about Kim Winslow. I just know that I remember one time she cornered, she, I'm not cornered. She was the referee for the Jan Finney fight 
when Jan Finney fought Cyborg. And oh God, yeah, that was my God. Yeah. She let her. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, but that yeah, was she, brutal. Yeah, and 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 that stuck with me. And you know, I, I kind of said something to her, like I was like, you know, kind of waited too long. I don't even know what her background or her experience level was in MMA. I don't know, you know, or with combat sports, but you know, I guess she was a pioneer. Um, but yeah, being a female referee, yeah. obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it did. It didn't work out for Lorenz <laughs> that that night. I, I agree with you. I felt like she let it go. Uh, she let it go too long, and and obviously he paid the price. But he had mentioned again. Don't know if you're aware of this, but he he'd been asked about cut, dropping down a weight because you could see him even at that point. He looked chubby for, you know, for yeah. 205. It looked like he could easily cut down and you were his last fight at 205. He dropped down to 185 and eventually he started off a heavyweight. He started yeah, heavyweight. yeah. 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 And he'd cut all the way down and then it, he, he's fought at 170. You know, I think he's back up at middleweight now, but uh, he's gone back and forth. And so I think he, apparently when he had been asked about, it, he said he had never had anybody like fought anybody where it made him feel like, oh man, I'm too small for this division. And Clearly, clearly you changed his mind on that, uh, you know, afterwards, but, uh, but unfortunately, you know, after the fight, you have the, the positive test, you get yeah. the suspension, um, later, you know, you had some issues with Pat Lundvall, one of the, uh, Nevada state athletic commissioners, you end up, Zufa ends up releasing you, you end up going over to, to Bellator. I believe, um, you've maintained your innocence. You blamed a, a tainted supplement and there's been no other issues since that time, yeah. but strike force ends up closing up shop about six months after you were, you were released. Looking back now, you had you know five or six fights with Strike Force. Looking back now, I was I mean, and and just because this is a podcast about Strike Force, I, I think you'll tell me the truth anyways. But uh, you know, how important was Strike Force to your, to your career? Do you look back on that as you know, hey, really important time? You had a, a you know fun. That's where you really made your name. Like, what, what what's your what are your feelings on Strike Force? Looking back all these years later, I, I man, I enjoyed my time with Strike Force. Um, it helped me grow as a person as a fighter as a person. I met a lot of cool people. Um, I don't know, I experienced a lot, man. Because Strike Force helped me get helped me become who I am today. So, you know, I, you know, Coker, Scott Coker's the man. Yep. You know, Rich Chu, you know, Carrie, the whole staff. Carrie Ann, the whole staff is stellar. You know? Shout out to Carrie Ann. She's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, and obviously the relationship has continued with Scott, and and you're one of those guys. I mean, you technically fought under Zufa's banner um, because they were, you know, Strike Force was purchased by them, but you've never stepped foot in the UFC. Like, is that was that on purpose, or you just one of those guys that you know you don't like you want to fight for the underdog, so to speak? Or what's your you know what's the reason why I never going to the UFC? Mm, I just didn't, I don't know. I just got after a bit of Bellator. Um, I don't know. I, to me, just I was never. I never really care about the organizations. I just care about just fighting and paid and having a good time. There you go. Okay. Well, it's worked out for you, obviously. Um, but you, of course, over the, you know, the next several years after going over to Bellator, then you continue to fight in Ryzen over in Japan. You got to have some huge fights, two fights with Rampage, you know, Phil Davis, uh, Mirko Krokop, Czech Congo, you know, just obviously tons of big fights. Um, since then you've retired focused on coaching and training fighters at American top team. You're still, still one of the top uh, gyms in the world. I think it just got named 2021's gym of the gym of the year. And so yeah. that's obviously a big part of what you're doing, but 
Um, I remember on the on commentary, Pat Militich during the Lorenz Larkin fight had talked about how cerebral you are as a fighter, that you had a real knack for being able to dissect your opponents and and just look at fights and have insight. How much has that played into your your training and your coaching? Do you enjoy coaching and training more than you did fighting? Talk about what you're you're doing today as far as uh, helping today's fighters get ready for their fights. Uh, well, like anything I do. At the moment, I enjoy that. I enjoy more than I did in the past because I'm all about progression. Things get more fun as as time goes on. So I enjoy. I love fighting, but I love coaching more now because that's what I'm doing. Is it so? Who are the main the main people? You know, guys or gals? Who are the main people that you're training at this point? That you know, hey, you're cornering them. You're you know, a big part of getting them ready for their fights. Like, who are the main main fighters that you're working with? Um, Brandon Hughes, Matt Hughes' son. Oh, um, okay. I didn't know yeah. he was. I didn't know he was fighting. Yeah, he's an amateur. Um, Johnny Eblen, uh, Jarzino Rosenstruck, okay. Jada Verbeek, um, Mike Lombardo. I'm helping um, Austin Vanderford with this fight versus Musasi coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, Saeed Salma, um, Marcus Perak. I, mean, I, I it's just a lot. I have a lot of fighters that come to me. I don't always corner all of them. I, I just work with quite a few. So, you know, um, it just, it just varies. Okay. And you're, and I'm sure that you enjoy that, you know, that variety of being able to work with all these different fighters. That must be a lot of fun. Keep it fresh. Keep it new. Yeah. Keep it fresh, new and challenging because with me, I like to customize what, what my, my, my fighters need to do. I don't go out there, just throw it, throw all the fighters in one big box. I have their own individual circle for them to work in and work and learn from. Okay. I got to ask about the, uh, going back into your fighting days, I got to ask about Crow Cop. Um, he's, Fedor is probably my favorite of all time, but Crow Cop is a close second. Uh, you know, him being obviously just pretty much a god in Japan. How much did it mean to you, even though, again, he was not, you know, not in his prime, um, but but being able to take on a guy like Crow Cop, what did that mean to you? How did you feel about the fight? Obviously, didn't, uh, didn't you know, didn't go the way that you wanted it to, but, but how'd you feel about that? Well, I took the fight on like literally six days notice, something like that, because I oh, fought geez. I fought in Ireland. So I fought Ishii in Ireland. And then they opened the fight after after I beat Ishii, they opened the fight and said, Hey, do you want to fight Crow Cop? And I was like, Yeah, when? It's like like in nine days, something like that. So <laughs> I flew back to America, got the visa and the flew to Japan and fought him. Okay. Um, so I waited. He was just so big, man. Like I was doing good. I was I was winning, but he was just so big and he caught me. I waited at 210. He waited at like 250. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Obviously heavyweight was not, I mean, you, you, wa- you would walk around at around what? 215, 220 for the most part when you nah. were fighting. 210. Oh, 210. You walked around at 210. Okay. If that, yeah. Cause like, you know, strike force, when I went, even in Bellator, when I go, fight week, I'd be on weight. Okay. Yeah. You didn't yeah, have I to really even cut anything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so yeah, obviously he's, he was always a big, you know, those like massive thighs and thick legs and he was always been a really big boy. So yeah, he must've had a massive weight advantage on you. So, uh, but kudos to you for taking that in and, and Hey, you know, not, there's only a handful of people out there can say that they, uh, they fought crow cop in the entire world. So, you know, that's a big, that's a big deal. Uh, but I, we got just a few more questions here. Um, you know, as we mentioned, you've obviously been a big pro wrestling fan your whole life. You've dabbled in the business over the years. Uh, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, you had gotten a, a developmental contract offer from WWE, but decided to go the MMA, MMA route in the uh, the mid two thousands. 
You had a couple runs with TNA and Impact. You've made you know an independent uh, independent appearance uh, or two, you know, here and there. Then you've been involved with MLW for the last couple of years, continuing to have a match. I think you had a match with Low Key. Was that last year or 2020 when you had the Low Key match? Uh, I think it's 2020. I think I'm not sure. Okay. So, but you're still involved with, with MLW. And then recently Dan Lambert uh, of American talk team stated that you'd been a big help in getting junior dos Santos ready for his in ring, in ring debut in AEW. Um, you know, you also hinted that, Hey, we might see King Mo enter the forbidden door and maybe make an appearance in AEW. And I'm not asking you to give anything away, but talking about, you know, being a crossover star, both MMA and pro wrestling, what would, you know, you plan to continue to be involved in pro wrestling. You ever see an extended run as an in-ring com- combatant? Like w- give us your thoughts on uh, your, your, your career in pro wrestling. Well, my career in pro, I'm, I just, I'm still for fun, really. Like I'm not trying to go anywhere with it. My body's sore. I'm hurt. Like I enjoy doing it, but I'm not going to go too take it too far. You know, I'm just, I'm in the, I enjoy doing, I enjoy watching it, but, I leave it for the young bucks. I'm literally the young the bucks. Act, I'm like the actual young bucks. <laughs> nah, not the, not 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 the two suit young bucks, but the younger guys. Okay. You know. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's, the the obviously they had the, the whole angle with um, ATT, and I was surprised that I didn't see King Mo there. To be honest with you, I mean, especially knowing your your love of pro wrestling and your involvement, was that yeah, ever was, was that ever uh, an opportunity? Could, well, nah, because I was still in the MLW contract, okay. so like, it would okay. yeah. Okay. Dan was there. Dan was Dan was just doing MLW and AEW. I think he just does it because Dan don't gotta get paid. Dan's Dan. You know, he just you know he gets where he wants. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's a massive pro wrestling fan. I saw he you know cut a promo from his I guess his office and he's got all those belts like yeah. like lined up. I mean, obviously he's a and he you know he's clearly an old school pro wrestling fan. So. Uh, but just my, I would love to see King Mo and AEW, even if it's just for like an angle or something like that. I would love to see King Mo and AEW. I think you'd be a, a natural fit there. So it'd be I mean, AEW. I, I love AEW. I love what, what I see in pro wrestling right now with the crossovers, um, the Forbidden Door. Yeah. AEW, Ring of Honor, which was now defunct or coming back now. Yeah. Yeah. They, they announced their, they got their main event for their, uh, their super card for their relaunch. So yeah, they're, they're coming back. Yeah. So then you got, you got Impact, you got New Japan, you got PWG. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, Future Stars of Wrestling. I, I like the independent scene. Strong. Yeah. Lots of stuff going on. I think, I know Baroni, I know Phil Baroni was doing some stuff with Future Stars of Wrestling, if I remember correctly. And he's another yeah, he guy was. that would be a, a natural, natural fit for pro wrestling. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see, we'll see more of you in, in pro wrestling. Um, so, listeners can find you on Instagram and Twitter at KingMoFH. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? You know, I know obviously deeply involved with coaching at ATT and still involved with MLW. Is there anything else that you want to mention as far as uh, you being involved with? No, man, we're just chilling, man. You know, I'm, I'm low key behind the scenes, man. Okay, cool. No problem. All right. Well, my last question, if, if someone is, has never, never got to see you fight live and it doesn't matter if it's Ryzen, Bellator, Strikeforce, wherever, what's the one fight that stands out in your mind that says, all right, this is who I was as a fighter, which, which fight would you direct somebody to, to know that, Hey, this is who I was as a fighter. That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know because I, I, you know, we're all fighters and we all have fight different battles in different ways, but as a fighter in the, in the, I don't know, in the cage, like, I guess you look at them all because like, you know, I wasn't hundred percent in all of them. I wasn't, I wasn't 100% some of them, you know what I'm saying? I was good, I was bad, but 
one thing I did is I tried, gave it up, gave it my all, like we all do. So, you know, I, I can't, I can't give one specific fight because you know I was going through different things at different times. But I can tell you this: in all my fights, I tried my best. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll say from my side, I, I really like the Hodger Gracie fight because I feel like you showed kind of a well-rounded skill set, and then just the knockout was just brutal. Oh, yeah. So I, I really, I, I enjoyed the the Hodger Gracie, but I always liked watching you fight. It was, I appreciate it, was, it, man. Yeah, it was always fun for me. I was always, I would always. Uh, I, if King Mo was on the card, I knew we were going to get at least one good fight, you know? So I, I always enjoy that. Um, one more thing before I let you go, though. I did want to ask about your health. Um, obviously, uh, or not obviously, but after the Larkin fight, you had a, a real staff uh, infection scare. And and I remember reading a quote, you'd been interviewed by Percy Crawford, who I have a lot of respect for. And uh, you talked about basically you had an eight pack at the time, but you could see your hip bone because of, you know, the eating away and all that. And I guess you've recently had a partial hip replacement and that sort of thing, but how's your health today? How are you feeling? And, and obviously if you're training guys, you got to be able to be able to get physical to an extent, but yeah. How, how's your health at this point? My health is pretty good. Uh, I have some small issues like with my thyroid, stuff like that, but uh, like, you know, it's hyperactive. But other than that, like I'm in shape, I'm lean, but you know, so I'm, I'm having a hard time keeping my weight up because my metabolism runs so fast. But other than that, I'm good. Well, I don't feel sorry for you about the metabolism part. I would gladly trade you for that. But <laughs> anyways. All right. Well, Mo, I appreciate you taking the time to be on with us today. Thank you. And uh, yeah, best of luck. And we hope to see you, you know, hope to see you on maybe an ADW screen or, or something along that those lines pretty soon. But regardless, appreciate your time. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right, I want to thank my very special guest, King Mo, for taking the time to be on Inside the Hexagon with me. I really enjoyed connecting with him. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. We had a lot of fun talking about, I mean, I just probably the most enjoyable part of it for me was talking about wrestling with him, uh, but it was really cool to hear him talk about his preparation for fights and just, you know, uh, it's just his career, just everything. And what, what, you know, it sounds like he's in a really good place and he's really found a niche for himself, uh, you know, in his post fighting career. Uh, it was really, it's really great to hear that he's taken all this time and, uh, really working with, uh, you know, a lot of these younger fighters. And, and I, again, I didn't know that Matt Hughes son was, was competing in as, as an amateur. And that's, that's pretty cool that Mo's working with him. So pretty awesome stuff. Really glad that we were able to connect. Uh, but coming up in our next episode, we are going to be covering Rousey versus Tate, or I guess it's Tate versus Rousey, actually. Uh, it took place in March of 2012, and obviously this was a massive, massive fight for Strike Force, the big, uh, you know, the, the, the really big time uh, feud between Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. They're still not fans of each other. Uh, here we are 10 years later, and they're still, they probably would still go at it if they had the opportunity. Uh, but they battle for the women's bantamweight title. Also on this card, we see Josh Thompson uh, return to take on KJ Nunes. Kazuo Misaki, longtime pride fighter, takes on Paul Daly. And then Jacques Ray, the former middleweight champ, is back, and he takes on Bristol Marunde uh, in it, uh, on the main card. So I'm looking forward to this one. Scott Smith dropped all the way down the preliminary card. Uh, Sarah Kaufman, who just probably was just ready to murder somebody uh, because she was supposed to get the title shot against Tate, and instead she got bumped, and, and instead we got Ronda. Rousey in there 
So this is kind of an interesting dynamic, and I'm looking forward to digging into the the research there. Uh, after that, we've got some other cool stuff that's on the horizon: the Barnett versus Cormier card, where they finally, uh, you know, complete the the heavyweight Grand Prix. And then I'm really excited to announce that Gilbert Melendez and Josh Thompson have agreed to come on together, and we're going to be talking about their trilogy of fights, one of the most famous trilogies in MMA history, definitely uh, the, the the most famous trilogy in Strike Force history, might be the only. Trilogy trilogy and strike force history. Uh, but I'm really, really excited that they've both agreed to come on and they're looking forward to digging into their fights. And I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, Nate Marquardt, former strike force welterweight champion has agreed to come on. And then Ryan Couture, son of Randy, the natural Couture Ryan competed several times in strike force, including on this Tate versus Rousey card on the undercard. So he's going to be coming on as well. So we've got some really cool stuff. I only have a handful of strike force cards left. There's actually only five left, including Tate versus Rousey. So, uh, yeah, there's not a ton left to get to we're getting to the end of our show got, got just a couple months left but i'm excited to to you know to finish this thing strong and i appreciate you going on the ride with us uh, if you want to reach me you can hit me up at phil at inside the hexagon.com would love to hear from you uh, but with that we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset we hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy and we will see you soon Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.